Welcome back to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, the podcast where we discover what skills can help you live your best life. I am your host, Kelly Ryan Bailey, and each week I chat with inspiring visionaries about the skills that make them successful. You'll get a firsthand account of how they develop those skills, as well as their innovative approaches to improving skills-based hiring and learning around the world. Now, let's talk about skills, baby. My guest today is Omar Samra. Thank you so much for joining us. Omar is a entrepreneur, adventurer, motivational speaker, and astronaut candidate. He's the first Egyptian to summit Everest, the seven summits, and ski to both the North and South Pole. In 2009, following a career in banking and investing, Omar founded Wild, is it Guanabana? Am I saying that yes. correctly? Yes, yes, that's perfect. Lovely. One of the region's leading adventure travel companies where he still serves as CEO. Subsequently, Omar founded a handful of initiatives in the education, environment, and adventure space, as well as children's charity in his late wife's honor. Omar is an astronaut candidate. Do you pronounce it POSSUM or is it the actual acronym? Project POSSUM, yeah. Project Possum. Okay. Having undergone various space trainings and served as vice commander of Lunaris 3, a 15-day moon analog mission conducting research on lunar habitability. That's really fascinating. In 2017, Omar made three first ascents of Antarctica mountains and named them. And that is actually one of them pictured behind him right now. (laughs) If he moves his head, we can see him actually on the mountain, which is pretty fabulous. So for those of you who are listening on the podcast, this is going to give you a reason to jump over to the YouTube and take a quick peek. (laughs) He rode a thousand kilometers across the Atlantic Ocean before capsizing in a storm His survival story, which also sheds light on the plight of refugees crossing dangerous seas, was made into a documentary that screened at the Keynes, Alguna Film, Cairo, and Berlin festivals to worldwide acclaim. Omar is a former Goodwill ambassador to the UNDP and an honorary ambassador to Nepal. Omar, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me really excited to this. I think it's been a few weeks in the making. I'm looking forward to it as well, Omar. And I know like a lot of what we discussed prior to hitting record is especially prevalent, not only in this time, but I mean, for me personally. So I am just really excited to hear a bit more about your story. And if I may, I'd love to start with, I think something that a lot of us tend to go through, which is these transformations in our life. And one that you made early, which was this investment banker who sort of turned, but maybe not the turn wasn't so out of the question, because I think it was more turning into your unique self and some of the things you were really interested in. I would love to hear a little bit more about that. I was one of these people that when I graduated from school, I had no idea what I wanted to study in university. And I did pretty well in school and then did subsequently really well in university. But then when I graduated again, I had no idea what I wanted to do for a living. I kind of fell into investment banking, just like probably a lot of people that were investment banking. There were people there that were sort of 
career investment bankers through and through, but most of us were just kind of a bit lost. And we did this because at the time we were talking about the year 2000, this was sort of the kind of job to have sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It was in London. So I got the opportunity to, to leave Egypt and travel, work abroad and so on. But it, very quickly, I realized it wasn't serving me anymore. I, I wasn't feeling the impact that I was creating. I didn't really realize there was no direct line from what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis and how I can see this impact in society or what's going on around me. Eventually, I ended up shouldering a backpack, quitting the, my job, something that was extremely scary. And I thought about for about a year and a half before I had the courage to do it. And I went on this long journey. I, I actually backpacked for about 370 days across Latin America, and then basically spent all the money that I'd saved, um, was sort of had to go back to, to banking because it's the only thing that I knew. Sure. And obviously, when, you, when you're away from something like that for a long time, your mind sort of deceives you and you forget. You know, one of the blessings of life is that you forget the pain. You know? Right. And then I tricked myself into thinking, you know, it wasn't so bad, you know, banking, you know, I should go back to that. Went back to it. And then, you know, it took me a year and a half to remember like what it was like. And I did learn amazing skills. I mean, don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. A lot of the things that I did subsequently, I owe it to that time. You know, that kind of hard work, uh, rigor, it was completely normalized to put in 16 hour days. And, you know, I'm not saying it's a great thing, but, uh, you know, the, my boss would call me on the weekend and bring me in on the weekend and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so we're a bit of a soldier, you know, and that's, uh, I think that generation, my generation used to approach work very much in that way. And one of my main learnings as a manager later on when I started up my own businesses was, you know, not to actually look to every staff member um, expect them to do the to do the exact same because things have changed quite a bit, right? Yes. But I did eventually decide that I wanted to switch career. And banks, big law firms, places like this are really good at making you believe that you're not good at anything else, and you become so specialized in your department. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, I was I worked in syndicated finance, debt finance, things that were very niche, and my job just got more and more specialized over time. And I couldn't fathom that I would be able to do anything else. And I was completely lost. So I actually applied and fortunately got accepted into an MBA program in London, which is mm -hmm. with the London Business School. I did that for two years. And that really opened up my mind, really opened up my horizons to actually, there were so many things out there, so many jobs out there that I didn't even know knew existed. And I made it a point that I wasn't going to apply to any banking jobs because I would probably get those far easier. And it was a real uphill battle to get a job to switch career. Eventually, I ended up landing a job in private equity, which is not banking, but it's still in the finance realm. But this is right. a more exciting kind of field because you buy stakes in companies and you help the management sort of turn it around and you create jobs and so on. Mm -hmm. But then in 2007, after the Everest expedition, which I did after my MBA, a sequence of events happened and I found myself taking the plunge and, and starting up my own business. Wow. This kind of comes to me when I see someone who builds the capabilities within themselves to overcome, let's say, something that might be a challenge and in some cases even scary, like climbing Everest <laughs> or, you know, because I'm assuming you weren't just like, oh, yeah, it's great. You have to train for that. But when you go through an experience like that, do you think that helps sort of adjust your mindset for when it comes to like your work? in life as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for your work in life, but generally for your life as well. So you learn some valuable lessons about appreciating the simple things in life, right? So that's something that carries with you in a very powerful way in your day-to-day -day personal life and relationships. 
mm-hmm. but also it's extremely helpful in work as well. You know, when you get overwhelmed with things, when you feel like, you know, there's a mountain of stress on you, it's almost like the world has handpicked you today to give you a, you know, a terrible day or something. <laughs> you can teleport yourself back to those moments, back on Everest, you know, back somewhere when things were really, really dire and, and we were actually in objective danger and couldn't breathe well it was cold stormy all of that stuff and it kind of puts things back into perspective so that was one of the main things but it also teaches you a lot of grit and a lot of perseverance yeah you become very resourceful as well so you realize you know how you can make do or you can do so much with so little one of the really underrated things about climbing or hiking or going out there in the wilderness and and things like that is the kind of clarity that you achieve as an individual like you Mm -hmm. have so much time to reflect, so much time to be with yourself, to be with your thoughts. So, I mean, sure, you're obviously climbing a lot of the times with teams, right. but still, even in that context, you spend so much time by yourself. It's a team exercise, but you're still having your own battle in your mind. Mm-hmm. And it's your mind constantly telling you, you know, you're not good enough, you're too tired, you can just quit now, all of that stuff. And that's the kind of mind chatter, the kind of rhetoric that we all go through every, you know, not necessarily every single day, but we go through even on our daily lives, right? Of course. That's something we were just talking about. Well, I was quickly sharing right before we hit record that I'm going through that just as we do in life transition moments right now, where I have to continually remind myself. And really, it's just my mind that is trying to talk me out of it. And I'm like, no, (laughs) what I really want to do is what I'm doing. But it's just our body's way of like helping us stay safe and protecting us. And that is like a, you know, I'm sure for a lot of people, if you don't go through that on a daily basis, it's at least often, and it feels heightened in times of stress or times of transition or times of overcoming challenges for sure. Have you gone through your own major changes like career wise as well? I have. And I feel like I'm on one of those moments right now too, just like you were saying. But for me, the big moment was when I had my third child. So at that point in time, I think I just became so overwhelmed with, you know, having three children, life, the way that work was, I think probably as you may have experienced as that investment banker, you know, working like 90 hours a week, traveling all this time, like, is this what I really intended, even though I loved it, like, is this kind of the life that I was having? And that was about five years ago. And I made the call to step out and start a consulting business and try to basically like refine myself and focus on myself. And I don't know if it's this year with COVID or, you know, what's going on, but I'm feeling this transitional period again, like there's this new thing that's happening with starting the podcast and like, what is this all going to look like? Like you said, where are the chips going to fall? Because it's sort yeah. of exciting and yet sometimes scary. Yeah. And this the consulting shift was, this is how many years ago now? That was about five years ago when I made that shift. Now I'm still like sometimes consulting, but for the most part, I also have a full-time role now beyond some of our, as we all have our little things that we're also doing and other initiatives and all. I don't consult full-time anymore. I've made a slight transition off of that, but it was sort of like at the time it worked for me, you know? I mean, it's really interesting because I think the world is changing very rapidly. And when I started my career, I think people used to um, give a lot of credit and salute people who had a laser-focused career, right? So I remember when I was in investment banking, I worked for HSBC and, and for a stint, I worked in Hong Kong 
there was a story of a guy who I think was at the time the like second or third person in the bank, mm. and he started in the mailroom. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it was one of those stories that you would hear over and over. It was sort of lore, you know, in, in the yes. bank. And it sounds like a movie. You know, he would go with this sort of thing that he'd push with all the envelopes and yep. deliver the mail. And he had a huge interest in trading. And he would, when he had time, he would sit and watch the traders and so on. And then one day, one of the traders, you know, was sick and somebody had to take care of this position. And then they were like, you know, we don't know what to do. We're, we're screwed, this and that. And he was like, I can do it. And he was like, <laughs> what do you mean? He got his shot and he, he managed to, he didn't make any money that day, but he didn't lose any money. And, and then he, that's how his career got started and eventually became like, and he, that was maybe, you know, 30, 40 years into his career. Nowadays, and obviously there's people that are very focused, you know, you've got, you know, scientists, you know, artists, people who, who've had a, owned the craft over their entire life. But nowadays people look up to people who are being able to master so many things or be able to kind of pivot very quickly into different things or explore so many different arenas. You know, people like Dr. Dre, you know, artist, producer, this, 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 right. this and that. And then and you look at that and you're like really inspired. Whereas in like, you know, my parents' generation, it'd be like, this person's lost. You know, he has no idea. What, he's irresponsible, right. you know? <laughs> right. And, uh, and <laughs> my parents would have I, said the same thing. <laughs> yeah. As you were saying that though, do you ever find, like sometimes you see people that are successful in all of these pivots Does that ever feel overwhelming to you? Because sometimes I look at that and I I don't know if we all do. I don't know if it's like imposter syndrome. I feel like there's a term for it where you're like, I don't know if I can really do this. Or you kind of feel bad that you haven't gotten so far in the same lifespan where I think we all know that our journeys happen at different times. I just often, I wonder how you handle that. You know, this idea that the comparison to maybe how other people are making these pivots and trying all these different things. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you look at people who have like been incredibly successful in multiple careers, sometimes careers don't necessarily are very related to each other. Obviously, it makes you kind of stop and think. But I think at the end of the day, the main thing for me, what I've also you know learned more and more over the years, is that you need to really find joy in what you do, mm-hmm. and you're not going to be able to find joy in, in everything in, in life, right? So I think if you're searching for fame, or if you're searching for a career accolades or money or whatever, I think you can look at someone else's career and think, "Wow, I want to be that." Right? But if if what you're if you're prioritizing joy, joy in what you do and who you work with, and mm-hmm. then I think it becomes very individualistic and becomes very specific. Then a fewer number of things will appeal to you as an individual to do and and really kind of have that feeling. Of course, it's not easy to find that. But I mean, you, you've got to keep you've got to keep searching for it. And the other thing is, the old notion was that once you find it, you know, you stick to it for the rest of your life. But again, you know, I find myself like I'm, I'm somebody who worked in the corporate world, maybe for something like eight to 10 years. And then I made a radical shift into entrepreneurship. Actually, I started my own business. You know, if, if you had told me, I don't know, two, three years before I would have bet against myself that one day I would start. <laughs> right? And now I've, I've probably started a handful. And the thing is, when I went into the MBA, all I knew is that I didn't want to study finance as a core. You know, you have to take a number of courses, but I didn't want my focus to be finance or accounting or something. I don't end up back in, in that sector. So I said, well, let me just pick the course that I really love. Yeah. And if that turns out to be a concentration, great. If it's just a general thing, then that's fine. And all the courses, most of the courses were entrepreneurship courses. So I ended up graduating with an entrepreneurship concentration. Oh, wow. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Maybe I'm, I'm just really like enjoy the topic, right? And I still discounted the fact that I would ever 
because to me the entrepreneur it sounded such like a such a unattainable Work. thing like what is it one great idea and then it happened and that became my life and then I, I i can't really imagine myself going back to doing just one thing or going back to the the corporate world but then the, the really interesting thing now it's been 11 years i guess of doing that going down that path and it's easy to find yourself over time not paying attention i ended up creating for myself a similar situation mm-hmm. where i feel really stressed out I feel that although I'm very passionate about those businesses and the impact that they're creating, but the kind of role that I'm doing in those businesses are just not what I'd love to be doing. And mm-hmm. it's taking a lot out of me. It's taking a toll. And the way that I want to impact the world and the way I want to do things is still within these platforms and these businesses, but in a different way. I'm just saying that because you know, sometimes even with the thing that you love, you can create a situation where you start to feel trapped. And it was really COVID that... You know, basically just brought everything to a standstill because like you said in the beginning, I work in things related to outdoors, travel, sectors that were deeply affected by COVID-19. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. My family owns a bakery and I can say that I actually helped them run the operations of the bakery, but I also had to step in when my stepfather became sick and actually help bake in the bakery. And I've grown up baking. And if you asked me prior to that experience, Baking was one of the things that I loved to do the most. When the holidays came around, I would just love to like make so many cookies with my kids and my family. And then after that experience, it turned baking for me into something that was no longer enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. And I can't explain what it was, but it just did. <laughs> it's the same for me. Uh, it's just about realizing what you're good at, but also what you enjoy the most. It's a common trap that people want to do the things that they're good at or want to do the things that they've achieved success through. And it's not necessarily the same thing as what brings you joy or what you should continue to do or that that's the way you should impact the world. I found myself that I'm actually really good at coming up with an idea and then taking this idea into a service or a product, basically establishing proof of concept and getting to profitability. But I'm not so good at then taking that into growth phase. And mm-hmm. the growth phase basically becomes, instead of doing this five or 10 times, you need to go 100 or 1,000. So it becomes yeah. about operations, iteration, efficiency, you know, all of that. And so I realized that I'm actually not such a good manager at scale. The operation day-to-day stuff becomes daunting for me and takes a lot out of me but then i realized like what i'm really good at actually is the vision is the strategy is coming up with creative ideas is being able to be being able to pivot spot opportunities use my platform and the credibility that i've created to really pr the business and so on and so forth but i rarely get time to do any of these things when i'm stuck in the day-to-day how did you recognize in yourself though that this was sort of like the part that you love I think that's what happens is when you get so stuck in those day-to-day things, sometimes you lose track. So how did you determine what pieces of this were really bringing you joy? And also that combination of the joy, yet where your strengths lie. It was more pragmatic than anything else. I mean, some of the businesses were not performing as well as they could. They're performing well, but they weren't performing as good as they could because I was spending you know, 80% of my time doing the thing that not it's not that I wasn't good at, but if I got somebody who's good at that one thing, they could probably do it far much better in, in far less time. Mm-hmm. And I realized that when it came to these other tasks, I was able to perform these things much more efficiently than others with much more impact in, in less time. 
it just came naturally to me. But the key was that it was I was just enjoying that part of it. It was interesting for me because I'm a very introverted person by just nature. And so being a communicator of ideas, being a person who's a sort of a spiritual leader of, of the business that you create and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing wouldn't have been, if you asked me 15, 20 years ago, it wouldn't never be the thing that I thought I would excel at in business. Um, and because of my because of my banking training, I became very analytical, you know, mm-hmm. very process driven, this and that. So I thought that this would be my forte and that's where my comfort zone was. And right. so naturally found myself creating these businesses and just falling into that comfort zone. But then I ended up putting myself in a place which wasn't very enjoyable. And the process that I'm living now, the way I see it is like for every single business, my goal is to work for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Because I know that those businesses, what they need now, I took them from an idea to where they are. And some of them have been, you know, some of them are one or two years old. Some of them have been around for 11 years. Mm-hmm. And what the business now needs is for me to have a boss, really. Got it. And for that person to tell me, hey, Omar, this is what I want you to do. One, two, three, four. And then these be, would be the, the things that I'm effectively hired to do. So these are, would be the things that I'm good at and the th- things that I enjoy to do, right? So because, you know, when I hire someone, I want to hire someone who's good at what they do mm-hmm. and finds joy and passion of doing that, right? So I want to be that guy for that area in the businesses that I've created. And so part of it is also taking the ego out of the equation as well. Right. It's sometimes hard to do that, right? It's hard to do that. One, because of, you know, it's my baby. I created it, this and that. But it's also hard to do it because, you know, a business is running. It's like a wheel in motion. To be able to make these radical changes requires some slowing down. And so if it wasn't for COVID, with all the the negativity around it and all the, the it's, it impacted also my life on a personal level in a very negative way. And it was very challenging. But if I have to try to look on the silver lining, it brought everything almost to complete standstill. And within that, there was tremendous opportunity to kind of look at things after they stopped. Yeah. And it just hit me that I would have probably churned away for another five years until I came to an absolute collapse, like, and just realized, what are you doing? You know? Um, And it's giving me that opportunity, but I hope that we don't go back to the old normal, like, you know, after, you know, Mm -hmm. after in the the new world, but so many people are, you know, and so many people are fighting so hard to go back to that old normal. And I just, I really hope that we don't as a species, as, you know, you know, as human beings, because it wasn't really working out, you know. It's so true. What are the things you want to see continue into maybe what could be this new normal? I'm not the person that knows how this is going to make sense on a, on a global level, but I think the, the economic model that the world operates with, this sort of new, neoclassical model of bottom line, you know, profitability first, yeah. no matter what, put the shareholder first always and this and that. I think that's an obsolete model. Maybe, you know, maybe it was perfect 100 years ago, but it, obviously we're holding on to it because obviously mm-hmm. you know, it satisfies a lot of interests and so on. But I think that a new economic model needs to, needs to come about, a model that basically creates a balance between profitability, between environmental sustainability, mm-hmm. social impact. I mean, every company needs to have a, a responsibility to give back to its own community. Yes. And it depends on scale. If I'm a small business, I need to benefit the, my neighborhood. If I'm a large scale business, I need to be giving back to the world or giving back to my country or, or whatever else. 
this is not something that's impossible. Like, it's, it's hard to see it now because you think, well, the way the world works is just this huge train that's going at lightning speed. And how do you even stop that, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at the past, you realize we've done this as, as a species. We've done this so many times. We went from, a, you know, the gold standard to something else. We went to from the more recently from the Keynesian model of economics to the neoclassical model. Yeah. And this required like so many shifts and structures of how things work in, in politics and economics and so many things. And so I think it, it's ripe for a, for a new change. I think it's coming. I think it's the problem is that we're that we're holding on to the old normal so hard. And I wish we could just let go and it would make the transition easier. But I know, for example, if we're talking about the environment, we know now that you know, many, many uh, sort of power economic groups, for example, like you know, the Rothschilds and those type of kind of, right? Everybody's putting their money into renewables. You know, whether people are doing this for the good of the planet or they're doing it because it makes you know, business sense, but still the, you know, everything is moving that way. You know, people are talking about the economics of abundance, which means in the mm-hmm. future, it's not going to be about scarcity of resources anymore. It's going to be about, you know, now you have startups that can turn carbon dioxide into fuel or they can turn the air that we breathe into water. Yeah. And so that's going to be a world that's very, very different. And if you're, you, know, you want to talk about skills, we need to talk about also what are we teaching our kids? You know, I have a seven-year-old daughter. You mentioned you have three kids. My daughter goes to a very progressive school compared to other children her age, but still I have to ask myself the question, is what they're learning in school preparing them for this world that they're going to in 10 years, for example, when she graduates, will she be prepared? Because we as adults, we don't even have a clue like how the world's going to look like in two years, let alone 10. No, it's so so uh, and it's so, and know, the, the way we were taught too, you know, that's and like I love to hear the progressive nature of some areas of education, but in all honesty, a lot of the same traditional models that are built on those economic models that have been around for so long, still the same way that we're taught as young people in school and and as we continue. Yeah. And still, I mean, like when I was studying and when I was in school, it was all about grades, it was about homework, it was about you know, getting into this university, getting into that, you know, when I got into university, it was about getting good grades so I can land this job and that job. I mean, even me as a as an employer, recently, I don't think I've looked at someone's where they've graduated from. I think I just have a conversation with the person and I, I talk in the context of business and I try to assess the person's character. And if if the person seems like a person that I would love to hang out with is, is a nice person. And at the same time, I feel that they've got a sense of reality and a sense of how the business runs and they, they feel that they're teachable, that somebody that's open to mm-hmm. learn and so on. I mean, unless obviously you're doing a very technical engineering job and you require certain qualifications for that. But for example, my daughter's school is, because it's such a novel education system, it's not actually accredited oh, by the Egyptian okay. government. A lot of the parents that I talk to, they meet my daughter or I post something online and they say, oh, what, where does your daughter, you know, because she, she's always going on about how much she loves school. Yeah. So they're like, my kids never say that. So they're like, where does she go to school? And I say, she goes to this school and that's how, they, and, and this is how they teach them. And this is how it is. And they're like sold onto it. And then when I say, when they talk about accreditation, I'm saying, well, it really isn't. And, they're, and then they're like, oh, no way. We're not going to do that. And then, and then they're, they're like, aren't you worried about that? And I'm like, first of all, when she graduates, I'm not really sure if universities will still yeah. be a thing. Yeah. It may not be. I mean, if I can just go on any like MITx or one of those right. platforms and learn anything under the sun, why pay I don't know how many thousands of dollars for an education? 
Exactly. And no one's really asking about it. Uh, you've got tons of kids who have made like, you know, 100 times more money than I have at 14 or whatever. You know? Right. <laughs> and so things are going to be very radically different. Some of it in a, an amazing way and some of it in a scary way. But at the end of the day, going back to joy, going back to happiness. Right. Like my daughter comes back from school, and she's, she's happy. happy. And that's all that matters, right? Hello, listeners. This is Sari from Skills Baby and Growth Network Podcasts. We hope you're enjoying the conversation and are excited to learn more. But I wanted to take a moment to talk about skillsbaby.com. It's an awesome resource for learning more about the inspiring visionaries on the podcast and digesting takeaways from their episodes to help you bring the skills we discuss to life. You can learn more about how Skills Baby came to be and the exciting things that are on the horizon. So check out skillsbaby.com and stay tuned for the rest of the episode. So tell me, I'd love to hear like a little bit more about the structure of her school environment, because this topic for me is very interesting and prevalent because of what I'm going through, definitely with my middle daughter, but I'm recognizing now when I look at the structure of school for all three of my children, I'm like, you know, the interesting thing is they all have differing personalities and we're trying to teach them all in the exact same way. And why? Yeah, it makes no sense. I think the first thing about it is that it's individualized learning. So what she's learning at school is not exactly the same as everybody else. Mm-hmm. She's She exists within a small bubble of like six or seven kids. So obviously there's stuff they're doing together, but she could be doing, you know, grade two math and grade one English and grade three something else if she really excels at it. So there's no necessarily a pressure of like, oh, I'm not doing as good as people my age. But at the same time, they do a lot of project work. So she gets to collaborate with other people, but also people who are younger than her, people that are older than her. At the moment, there isn't. But at one point, there was a special needs child in the school as well. And that was also like, you know, they were integrated as well into that. That's amazing. Um, There's a level of freedom. So she can walk barefoot in the school. I mean, that's a big thing for me. She can just be her. (laughs) Yeah. She can wear whatever she wants. You know, when she was in nursery, like they had this room where it was they had all kinds of different costumes and so the first time I walked into the school and I was, she wasn't there yet I was I was still looking at the school and I was walking with the principal and she was showing me the nursery and stuff and I, I just saw this kid wearing a lion's outfit and just sort of roaring and walking around and I was like what's going on and she's like well he just wanted to be a lion for the whole day yeah. so he wanted to attend his entire day of school as a lion and that's cool yeah you know when I was going to school, I would probably would have given him detention or like, you know, oh, yeah. gotten a ruler on my wrist or whatever yep. else, you know? Yep. And I can see the impact. You know, we're talking about, we talk about these mountains, you know, I named the mountain after like yeah. with the hope that one day she'll be like, maybe I'll go to Antarctica and try to climb Mount Hila or whatever. Right. But, but I, I try to talk to her in a way where there is no, there's no ceiling, you know, like yes. you could you can achieve anything you want in life i don't think that's the same rhetoric that a lot of our parents have for us it was coming out of a good place of course you know, they wanted best for us they wanted to keep us safe and so on but you know what like my, my mom was bless her i mean she was actually my inspiration for a lot of things because she, my two other sisters are special needs and she opened the first private school in egypt for special mm-hmm. needs and so on and so forth so her life is just a big uphill battle but yeah. because i was the first quote-unquote like normal kid in the family she was overly protective, like all the time about everything. At the end of the day, what did I do? I went off, climbed uh, Everest and did these things. And 
And so I tell her, you know, jokingly, like, it's your fault, right? You helped me, you protected me so much that I just went, <laughs> and maybe if you hadn't been so protective, who knows? But like, you know, maybe I would have just been a, you know, hadn't, right. wouldn't have gone to the extreme. So we just have to kind of let them be, right? Right. No, I love that. And I, I think it's just such an interesting way to think about learning, especially at the young ages, you know, we're shaping sort of this next generation, like we talk about this future, and what that will look like that we all don't know yet. And it's, it's really fascinating to see all the changes that are happening along the way. So for you, Omar, I know you mentioned you're going through transition now too. So, you know, I know it sounds like you're looking for your bosses, <laughs> but for your existing things, but what else is next for you? It's hard to articulate it like really well because I'm in this influx, let's say, like I'm yeah. trying to discover myself. So I've just, I mean, I turned 40 a couple of years ago and I, I look at this as my second life. And so the second life is basically, I'm trying to learn from quote unquote, like the, not mistakes, but like the things that I could do better. Mm-hmm. I want to create more impact. I want to, in the sense of, I want to impact more and more people's lives in a positive way. I, mm-hmm. I'm very passionate about the environment. So I want to play a role as much as I can to, you know, next decade is crucial in terms of, you know, if we're able to turn this thing around. Right. Education is something I'm very passionate about, like we, like we were talking. So I'm trying to be involved with a group of people who are trying to turn the, the education model on its head and so on and so forth. But basically, it's I, I would love to be able to focus on the things that bring me the most joy, the things that create the most impact and do more of that. I mean, without without getting into, obviously, for every single business, there's a, there's a specific plan and so on. Mm-hmm. But I, I also trying to sort of blur the lines between business and spirituality. You know, I want to be able to look at the businesses that I'm running or the projects that I'm involved in as a, an extension of myself, but, you know, not just an extension of myself in terms of what I do on a day-to-day basis, but in terms of my beliefs, my convictions, my value system, and so on and so forth. At the end of the day, I definitely want to work less in terms of time and effort and so on, sure. but, but do more. Yeah. Um, so trying to get more into a creative space, you know, obviously when you're living your second life, I don't, foresee I mean I still have a few mountains in me and so on and so forth but I don't I'm not going to have the same appetite to to take in as much risk or to push myself physically but that was my way of creating impact and and influencing the world in my own way Mm -hmm. that time so it's about being able to figure out another way to be able to do that that is potentially it's not necessarily physically and mentally taxing in that same way but maybe it's spiritually taxing. Maybe I have to ask myself hard questions. Maybe I have to make friends with things around me that I don't actually like, but they're just part of who I am. And now I have to just, yep. you know, own up to them. And, and just, I guess it's just a, a becoming of being, like we were talking before we hit record about like just being, just becoming more of who you are, discovering who that, who that person yes. really is. Completely. I, what you're saying just speaks so much to where I feel too. And I wonder, like I was saying, was it COVID this year, but I also turned 40 this year. So, you know, I wonder if you hit this point, like, I love how you described this as this next life, which is just sort of like the journey continued, right? Maybe down a different path, which I absolutely love that analogy. I think I'm going to have to quote that. (laughs) It's so true. Like, you know, you do these certain things and it's like, right that might not be the rest of our life, but how do we adjust and pivot and how do we figure that out? I kind of love that you couldn't 
put all the words to it because I can't either. And that is actually, I, I almost want to say that's not a bad thing because we're just on it. We're on the journey. We're on the path. We're trying to navigate it and just determine where the next turn is. Yeah. I'll tell you something like when I, when I talked about quitting banking the first time going traveling the world and so on, I, there was a, there was a moment in time when in the Middle East, you live with your parents far more longer than, than you guys. Right. So, mm-hmm. it's, or, or maybe in Europe, the U S it's a little slightly different, but we don't get kicked out of our parents' house. We fight to leave it. It's usually like you stay with your parents until you're married and stuff. So okay. I left my parents home at 21, which was considered radical, like for those days back home. <laughs> and uh, I went uh, working in London and so on and so forth. And so for the time until you're in your parents' ones that are, you know, paying for your education and they're paying for you to, for your food and everything else. Mm-hmm. And so when I got a job and I started like, you know, basically completely financially independent and so on. The first time my, my dad came to London and I invited him for dinner, that was a momentous occasion. You know, that mm-hmm. was sort of me becoming a man type thing for him. Oh, wow. Uh, when we were having that dinner, I had already made the decision that I was going to quit banking and travel the world. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't the most popular idea for, for my parents and my dad as well. And we had a very heated conversation, but civilized. And, you know, in the end, he said, listen, like, I don't think you're making the right decision. Of course, when I told him I'm leaving the bank, he was like, which other bank are you? Are right. you <laughs> so I told him, well, I mean, I'm going back. There. He's like, why can't you just travel for a week or two? Why can't you just be like a normal human being and so on? And I ended up sort of saying, well, I need to travel for a year. I need to discover myself. But, but what I'm getting to is that I didn't have the words at the time to articulate why I wanted to do this. I knew that there was something inside me that was burning, that I was passionate about. I didn't even understand why I was doing it. It made no rational sense to me. And it was scary and everything else. Had I waited until I had the words for other people, for myself to make sense of it and then do it, the time would have passed. I held on to the notion that me feeling, this feeling that I have, this intuition that I have, that this is what I need to do. I thank God that I I had this sort of Believe mm-hmm. at that time at a young age to say, I'm going to trust that. and I'm going to go with it, even though it makes no sense. And it doesn't even make any sense to me. And in the end, I ended up traveling. It was the best year of my life. I came back and the world didn't end. I, right. I, I got given a job at the same bank again. They were crazy to hire me again, but they, they did because I quit two, uh, two years later <laughs> again. And if I had stood there and said, like, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I'm not going to be able to find a job. Employers are going to look at my CV and be like, this guy is, you know, unpredictable. And so I feel like I'm in the same transition there. Sometimes it's more scary when you're older because, you know, you're more set in your ways and you're like, I can't make a mistake now. You know, I've got too many responsibilities. Right. But I think it's about trying to live your life embracing the child in you always. You know, when I look at my daughter, I I take a lot of inspiration out of that. And I'm looking at her and her friends. And it's basically just like, you you know, you're so natural. You're so just, you know, you, you meet some people who are like in their 60s, 70s, 80s and they the, way they, the way they move, the way they talk, the way they still have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the key. You know, we talked about joy, but I think it's it's this childlike kind of joy, excitement about life, foolhardiness, willing to kind of just on a drop of a dime, take a, a radical decision and, and yep. figure it out later. And it's amazing to be a, have a childlike spirit. But then armed with all these skills and all these, all that know-how and knowledge right. and wisdom. and it's like this and wisdom, exactly. <laughs> created over the course of the years. But also going back to spirituality, the wisdom that you can tap into, the consciousness that, that lives around us. It's an exciting time. I think we, historians will look back at this time, you know, 50 mm-hmm. years from now, 100 years from now, 
of a time that was of a great shift, I think. Oh, yeah. Just like, you know, the Ice Age or, you know, this type of stuff. It's perspective at the end of the day. I mean, we can look at this time as, you know, sort of the, the one of the darkest times of our recent history, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in many ways it is. And, and I'm somebody who lost both my sisters in a span of a month this summer due to COVID. So I talk about it completely understanding how difficult things are. Yes. Um, and, you know, there's something that I'm still grieving. I'm still, you know, working with as a time of the rebirth and uh, an opportunity to really uh, realign again with who we are and and then you know move forward because i think the world is going to need you know not just one or two of us doing that it's going to need most of us you know thinking that way yes you've just put words to the exact feeling that i've been having which is like i cannot describe fully what it is but it's a feeling that i have inside that just feels 100% right and that's what i when i feel myself getting overwhelmed as we do in these times of like the new thing, I call it like my gut check where I just like check in with myself. Does this still feel right to me? Cause like maybe all the things aren't happening the way we hope and as quickly and all of those things. But when I know that it feels right, I'm like, okay, everything else is going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the one inalienable truth, right? That's like, everything is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, Regardless, I remember again, like, you know, my wife passed away seven years ago and the children's charity that I run is now I sit on the board of is, is named after her. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, in the darkest of times, like the first three months, you know, the, I went to an, an energy healer and, and I was like, you know, I was in pieces and, you know, as he was performing the healing, I could just tears sort of running down my cheeks and everything else. And at the end of the, the, the session, he was, you know, debriefing me and everything. And he said, you know, Pretty much all your chakras are closed and all this is and you're going through turmoil and all of this and he said there is this storm that is happening but deep down i could sense the core in you a part of you that believes that everything is going to be okay wow and it was such a profound moment for me because for that moment when he said it for just a split second i could feel that part of me mm-hmm. and then it was a process a long process of getting to that true north. Right, back to that center. Yeah, I knew it wasn't going to be something that would happen in a week or a few months or whatever, but it's going to take time. But the belief that everything is going to be okay is something that's that's really powerful. It's so true. I normally, at the end of these sessions, Omar, I ask someone open-endedly, what would you like to share with the audience as your parting thoughts? And I almost feel like you've just answered that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I don't want to try and stop that. <laughs> I know because I'm like, because it's so true. The thought that everything is going to be okay. And the way that you've described your story that just like, I feel resonates so deeply, but I do want to give you that time that if there is anything else you'd like to share, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th- I think we've shared quite a lot, to be honest, in the last sort of, you know, weeks and months, you know, during the COVID time, I've gone through a lot of turmoil and a lot of challenges. And I've I know a lot of people personally that have also the same and I've gotten to know others and, and I, you know, I watch the news and, and things like that. But I, I think the thing that gives me a lot of comfort as well is I don't think there's any other time in history where the entire world has been united going through almost the same reality together. Mm. And I personally been able to get a lot of comfort out of that. I've had the opportunity to be on calls with people in, in, in India and in Nepal and places like that. You know, my travel business is 
international travel business. So I, I, you know, I have a lot of partners all over the world. You know, there has been times when Ebola is happening in, in Africa. So, you know, our right. part of business in that part of the world has to stop and we shift business somewhere else. But this is literally a time when every single, and we, 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 have, we run trips in 20 different countries and literally every single person has been affected the exact same way. Yeah. And so that has actually brought us so much uh, closer. That's just through the, my own circle of connection. Mm-hmm. But even on a subconscious level, it's brought us all very much closer to each other, even people that we don't actually know. So if there's an opportunity, if there's a time where the world can start to really heal itself and mend itself, not just the environment, but also people's relationships and all the polarity that exists in the world today and the polarization of ideas and so on. Mm-hmm. I think this is the time, this is the opportunity to do that. So I really hope that anybody who's watching this, you know, that in any thing, any, any conversation, whether it's about politics, whether it's about business, whether it's about anything else, is to just have this belief that there's always going to, there's always room for discourse. And we should spend more time in this place where conversation happens and ideas are exchanged and, and so on and so forth. Because the internet's an amazing place and it's given us the opportunity now to have this conversation. But it's also created so much polarization and ideas and we've become so guarded and, and just wanting to put our thoughts together and, and just shout them above things. There's a huge opportunity to heal ourselves and the planet. I totally agree, Omar. Those are some wonderful parting thoughts. This is a collective moment that we have never experienced globally. And let's definitely use that to our advantage. For all of you that would like to keep tabs on Omar, because it sounds like wherever the chips may fall, as you say, Omar, there's a lot of exciting things in your future. Omar is very active on his Instagram account at Omar Samra. And I know he does have accounts on all the socials, but that is the most active one. So definitely go check out, follow him. There's more to come. And I want to thank everyone for listening in today to Let's Talk About Skills Baby. Would love to get some feedback on this episode and also other episodes, some suggestions on topics that you would like to hear. You can find this on YouTube, on Spotify, on iTunes. Go ahead and leave some there, or you can message me directly and follow me on the socials at Kelly Ryan Bailey. Thank you, Omar, so much for joining us today. It has been such an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Kelly. I really enjoyed it. Same here. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, a Growth Network podcast production. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your community. Ratings, reviews, and suggestions are great sources of feedback and always appreciated. And please reach out and connect with me on social at Kelly Ryan Bailey. I'd love to meet you and continue the conversation. We'll be back next week with a new episode. So until then, keep growing your skills and have a great day.